Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What are some of my favorite stories coming out of the 2020 Olympic Games thus far? Oh, you're going to find out this week. Plus, Ed Ottavan. This is a guy who's originally from New York City. Moved all the way over to Tokyo, Japan. And he's been a sports editor over there. He's with Japan Forward right now. Has some great information about the atmosphere going on in Tokyo during these Olympic Games. Also, uh, some of his favorite moments in general. Covering the Olympics for so many years. And even a funny story about Peking Duck. My name is E. Duke Bennett, and welcome to Duke Loves Olympics. Welcome back, welcome back to Duke Loves Olympics. Let me tell you something right now, folks. I am fired up, okay? I am fired up. We're getting so much of the drama, the, the, the blood, the sweat, the pain, and the price of a sports lifetime that we get with the Olympic Games, and certainly there is no shortage of that. You know, and, and listen, I'm sipping on my uh, delicious Panera Bread coffee. You know, I was telling you last week, the Panera Plus program. Okay, this is a, a great program here where for only $8.99, you can get unlimited coffee. Doesn't matter if it's hot or if it's iced. Now, here's the trick. Once every two hours, you're eligible for a coffee of any size, any flavor, Iced, hot, you could even do uh, hot tea if you want to take a break from coffee. But I'm telling you right now, I, I just, oh, I love it. I love it. It gives me good pick-me-up throughout the day. And if I'm struggling midway, I can just go back and get some more. So definitely check out our friends over there at Panera Bread. I absolutely encourage you to check out the Panera Plus program in particular if you're a coffee drinker or if you're a tea drinker. But don't forget, they have other great things there you know delicious flatbread pizzas and salads and oh my goodness you're making me hungry right now just talking about this Panera Bread you got to check them out there I'll tell you right now these Olympic Games have not been short on drama it has been exciting it's been so fun to watch I was telling you last week you know Adeline Gray was someone who I was keeping an eye on you know she's an Olympic freestyle wrestler five-time world champion and sure enough, she I mean she made it all the way to the uh, gold medal round. Now she fell short. She ended up with the silver medal. But my goodness, talk about somebody who bounced back from adversity. Back in the Rio Games, she was you know unable to move past the quarterfinals. And you know this is somebody who was expected to be a gold medalist back in Rio. So the fact that she was able to have such an early exit, I mean, it was just devastating. But instead of giving up, instead of allowing the competition to get the best of her throughout the world, you know, she rededicated herself to the sport and was able to drive herself all the way to these 2020 Tokyo Games. And again, you know, silver medalist. So you can't beat that. Um, that's fantastic. But I got to tell you, when we talk about fantastic and we talk about freestyle wrestling, Tamira Mensah Stock. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Not only did she make it to the gold medal round, she actually won. Okay. And this is the 68 kilogram freestyle wrestling. Uh, I encourage everybody, if you get a chance, please, you have to watch this match 
uh, tomorrow. She took on a young lady from Nigeria in what really is probably the most competitive wrestling match that I've seen in a long time. It was stiff. It was dramatic. It was crazy. I mean, listen, you're, you you got a situation here where at one point, Tamara's leg almost got broken during the match. What? Yeah. There were slaps. There was a poke in the eye. There was all kinds of just craziness going on. I mean, you know, and this is this is Olympic freestyle wrestling. It's not pro wrestling. It's Olympic freestyle wrestling. But that type of drama was happening uh, for sure. Nonetheless, not one to be outdone there. Tamara Mensah Scott was able to stick to her game plan. She had tremendous defense and she was able to hold on. And it's really interesting because she is the first black woman to ever win a medal. And now she got the gold medal, mind you. First black woman in, in Olympic history for the Americans in freestyle wrestling. And it's really interesting because this weight class, we didn't even have a division before. Okay, we did not have women in the 68 kilogram division. So this was something that was really made for Mensa stock because we felt that, hey, you know, this is somebody who is probably the best wrestler on the planet. She should be able to get it done. And certainly she sure did. It's just fantastic stuff. In fact, uh, WWE world champion there, Bianca Belair, she just tweeted out, today giving major props to Tamara Mensa Scott so I mean that's that's what it's all about right there man beautiful dramatic fun interesting to watch shout out to uh, team USA wrestling I mean they they had a strong showing this year they certainly did and you know speaking of strong showings oh my goodness the 19 year old phenom okay Ating Mu she just completely shocked the world this was not supposed to happen we did not see well no one else saw this coming but we, we we here in the united states we saw it coming she managed not only to compete in the women's 800 meter she actually set the u.s record and she ended the longest u.s title drought in olympic women's track okay this is just fantastic she kicked butt out there 19 years old, so you know that we can expect to see her for many more years to come. I mean, it just, it it's one thing to win. It's another thing to set a world record. It's another thing to set the, you know, U.S. record. It, it just, it's it's something really special to be able to pull that off. So certainly, uh, Ating Mu, congratulations on that. Speaking of rec records, I mean, come on, man. Rye Benjamin. We knew it was going to happen, Right. We knew it was going to happen. I mean, the 400-meter hurdles for the men, here's a guy that has really turned it up a notch, okay? I mean, he, he's done well in, in the U.S. events, in the Worlds, and what have you, but he really turned it up a notch this year. He was able to uh, break the existing men's 400-meter hurdles world record by a half a second, and he, was, and he ended up with the silver medal. Now, you know, the gentleman from Norway was able to defeat him, and that's all right. That was a tough race. That was a really tough race. So shout out to Rye Benjamin. I mean, bringing home the silver medal, that is just fantastic. Great job. Hard work, dedication. That's what it's all about, you know. Not to be outdone. And really, this has been the story of the games here. Simone Biles. She, she took herself out of most of the competition because she was concerned 
on multiple fronts, but primarily, you know, she, she was having a difficult time remembering how many twists and turns she was doing in the air. They call it the twisties. So instead of risking her own life and, and instead of risking the United States not meddling in some of these competitions here, Simone Biles, she, she took herself out of competition, right? And it worked out. You know, we got a bunch of medals and what have you in, in the gymnastics. And so Team USA continued to look strong in that regard. But in the end, Simone Biles decided that she was going to return and she was going to compete on the beam. Okay. So this was this was one of those deals where it's like, okay, what's going to happen here? Is she going to be able to pull this off? Because again, she has the twisties. So you have to be really careful with that. I mean, it's if anyone's ever been dizzy before, if anyone's ever had vertigo, if anyone's ever, you know, been on uneven ground and and they they lose their footing, so to speak. Imagine that, but you're actually flipping and, and flying up in the air. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. But Simone Biles was able to secure the bronze medal, and she did this back in, in, in Rio as well. So this is just tremendous, tremendous job by Simone Biles, somebody who clearly was not 100%. She's got broken toes. She's got the twisties. She's got the world on her shoulders, and she was able to go out there and once again, secure the bronze medal. She is tied with Shannon Miller as the most decorated U.S. gymnast in Olympic history. Okay, so she's still the GOAT, baby. She's still the GOAT. Shout out to Simone Biles. Shout out to her family. Shout, shout out to Team USA. We got to support one another. There's no two ways about it. And a little later, I'm going to give my thoughts just from a general standpoint of some of the reaction to Simone Biles pulling herself out of competition. Um, you know, some of you out there, man, I, you just, it's as if you've lost your humanity. And sometimes I think there are a lot of people out there who they assign expectations to others that they personally could never uphold, you know? So more on that later, but, um, cause I definitely want to get in my conversation with Ed, but before I do that, I got to tell you right now, if you like what you hear, not only here on Duke Loves Olympics, but also Duke Loves Wrestling, you know, that's my combat sports podcast, Tell Us the Truth, you know, that's my podcast that I do in collaboration with iHeartRadio, the sound quality, it's unmatched, and the reason why is because I am using Zencaster. Now, let me spell that for you. Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster. Okay, this is my absolute favorite program. I have used so many of them to record my podcast, to record any kind of meetings that I have online or what have you. And I can absolutely 100% tell you Zencaster is my all-time favorite. The, the sound quality is unmatched. I mean, literally, radio studio quality sound and what's great is when you record with Zencaster first of all the recording is an mp3 so you don't have to go and convert it like some of these other things here what's cool is when you talk to other people they will record each person individually so later on when you download you're getting individual tracks that is just such a major advantage um, you're able to do so many other things from audio 
standpoint, even a, a visual standpoint, if you're using video, separate tracks is the way to go. And, you know, one of the things that I've done is I've connected my Zencaster to my cloud. So automatically, whatever I record on Zencaster goes to my cloud. I don't have to worry about it. It's stored there. I can go back, pull it up, edit it, be ready to go, man. I'm telling you, if you are looking for an audio or video program, especially whether you're podcasting, whether you're doing conference calls at your at your place of work, whatever, you got to check out Zencaster. And the best part about it is they do have an introductory free. Let me say that again. They do have a free version of Zencaster. So you can try it out. See what I'm talking about, but I'm telling you right now, you will not go back to anything else after this because they're the best. They're the absolute best. Shout out to my friends at Zencaster. You know, they're, they're doing some advertisements for us, not only here on Duke Loves Olympics, but you may see Duke Loves Wrestling and tell us the truth if you go over to the Zencaster website. Just really, really cool stuff. A great partner in this journey to tell some of the best stories out there. You know, and and definitely it's so much easier to do when I know that I can defend, depend on an audio program that can get the job done. Visit Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com. Zencaster. Tell them the Duke sent you. Hi, I'm Edo Devon, sports editor for Japan Forward, a English language website based in Tokyo. And I love the Olympics. Well, Ed, first and foremost, it is a pleasure to have you here. This is fantastic. You're actually based in Tokyo, Japan. So I, I got to ask you right off the bat there, how's the atmosphere been with the Olympics going on? The atmosphere is is mixed. People are in the midst of a quasi state of emergency with with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic where, you know, shops and, and uh, restaurants, things like that are closing really early at night. And, you know, the government's asking people to stay home and the stadiums don't have fans. But, you know, people are fired up when Japan gets a gold medal, another gold medal, another gold medal. And, um, you know, they have 17 gold medals through today, which tops the previous record of 16. So, you know, it brings people joy. There's been some great performances from international athletes in so many sports. You know, it's a nice diversion from the the news around the world and the news domestically. You know, the virus is not a one day and it's gone kind of problem. It's probably a five or 10 year, you know, global issue that people have to be patient about and, you know, and deal with. So I think people are excited. Not everybody supports the Olympics ha- happening now. Some people certainly would have liked them to be postponed another year, but they're here. And, you know, there is momentum in terms of excitement based on the success Japan has had from the first day up until now. Tell me a little bit about Japan Forward, because th- this is an interesting concept here where it's an English language news medium in Japan. So you folks are based in Japan, you're operating out of Japan, but your news is in English. Talk to me a little bit about that. Okay. Japan Forward was established in 2017 as an English language project of the Sankei Shinbun. The Japanese word for newspaper is Shinbun, and Sankei is a decades-long, well-respected national uh, conservative financial newspaper with, with a huge following, a very large subscription base. And it's sort of like the Wall Street Journal in terms of what they do. You know, big coverage of, of the economic uh, news, analysis of, of industries and, and those kind of things, international coverage, national news coverage. I, I don't really have a, a focus on those things. 
I'm, I've been trying to help the uh, the website, you know, build a following for sports coverage, establish sort of, um, you know, focal points of our coverage, and also do some big projects that are not from the day-to-day news coverage. We're more of a weekly focal point of our coverage away from the Olympics, where I'll give you a couple of quick examples, Duke. During the week, two of my main projects that I focus on in a normal week is a midweek uh, column, which I call Odds and Evens, generally runs on Wednesday sometimes on Thursday, and then a Sunday Japan Sports Notebook, which is usually um, very in-depth covering highlights from the past week of Japanese athletes or sports in Japan and overseas, such as looking at Shohei Otani's just great success in baseball this year. You know, we've done stories on him like from the All-Star game, but stories that also you know are more summaries of what took place. And in trying to build a global audience of our sports coverage, I did an eight-part series last year about Hideo Nomo 25 years later, looking back at his first season with the Dodgers and interviewed Peter O'Malley, the former Dodgers owner, Fred Clare, the former GM, Don Nomura, his agent, Hideo Nomo himself. And we really tried to you know, give people something unique that was uh, a long read project over several months. So those are some of the things we do. Um, our audience is not necessarily all based in Japan. In fact, I would say probably 75% of our audience for sports and for other other sections are actually, you know, heavily based in um, in the Philippines, in, in India, in Taiwan, in South Korea, Australia, the UK, North America. So we have people around the world who understand and read English looking for news about Japan that probably gives a broader range of perspectives and opinions, uh, not that maybe maybe not so much like one uh, narrow focused uh, viewpoint for editorials or for analysis. But with sports, it's 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 basically trying to give people um, a real mix of different things, from Major League Baseball to the NBA to pro soccer players overseas, uh, you know, combat sports, tennis. Sumo, we always cover the final day of sumo of a tournament. Same with golf. We generally cover the the final day of a big event when Japan is doing really well. So those are a couple areas that I hope give you some insight. That, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So this is a pretty well-defined publication that is, um, you got a mixed bag of, of things that you're covering. So people mm-hmm. can really get a good grasp of not only what's going on in Japan, but from a global perspective as well. Um, what are some yeah, of the we, key stories to pay attention to? We do have contributors, especially in the non-sports departments, who are you know well-respected academics and pundits from India, from the Philippines, from Indi- from uh, England. A, a few historians from the United States and Canada have written for us. And even before the Olympics, actually, I I reached out to a colleague of mine who used to live in Japan, uh, a Japanese Brazilian who wrote who interviewed a 91-year-old Japanese-Brazilian who remembered the Tokyo Olympics from 1964 and his thoughts on what it was like to be observing the Olympics about to get started again in Japan from you know his ancestral homeland and his remembrance of the fact that in 1964 it was only 20 it was only 19 years after World War II had ended and you know not everybody not everybody was fired up to see Japan in the Olympics again, or, you know, to see just to see Japan having such success on the global stage, because there was, you know, there was still some, some big scars 
from World War II. Big scars indeed. I mean, there's no two ways about it. There are a lot of people affected, you know, and to be still around from that generation, that's something else there. You know, we were talking offline about it, Ed. I actually took a year of Japanese back when I was in third grade. So, I mean, at such a young and an impressionable age, um, for this kid, you know, growing up in Mattapan, the neighborhood of Mattapan, over 90% black here mm-hmm. in Boston, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. to to get information about a whole world away and to mm-hmm. learn the history. And, you know, unfortunately, some of the atrocities that have been committed against uh, the Japanese people as well. Um, and to hear about how Japan has been so resilient and has bounced back and has found ways to be leaders in so many different industries and what have you. So I'm always fascinated and I'm always curious when I talk to other Americans who are over there and just get some perspective about how things are going. I wanted to touch a little bit upon not just the Olympics, but more so the, the, the stories that appeal to you the most, Ed, because you're a story guy like myself and there was something that you that you put out in Japan forward that I was really curious about. The American flag bearer, uh, Eddie Alvarez. There's a, there's a really, really interesting story about this guy that unfortunately is just not getting as much coverage as I feel it should. Tell me a little bit about Eddie Alvarez and some of the things you were able to uncover about him. Well, Eddie Alvarez is a Cuban-American uh, second generation who grew up in Miami. You know, this is an area, you know, that... Basically, it's it's you know the overwhelming overwhelming majority of the people in Little Havana and the surrounding neighborhoods are are Cuban or Cuban Americans or you know exiles from Cuba. And um, he grew up as a really good athlete, baseball player. He showed some he showed some definite abilities in in various roller skating and roller blading speed contests. Um, I never saw one of those take place myself, but. Um, Eddie Alvarez um, transferred his abilities to skate, you know, the motions and the, you know, the biomechanics of the sport. He transferred that to, to speed skating. And at some point he actually started going to the ice rinks uh, of South Florida and elsewhere to train and compete. And he earned a spot on the U S Olympic team in in, uh, 2014 in one of the um, team events and actually won a medal. Uh, but if you fast forward, sorry, if you rewind a couple years, he was a really good high school baseball player and earned a scholarship um, to a Catholic school in South Florida. I think it was called St. Thomas. And uh, he put his baseball dreams on hold to pursue his dreams of, um, of being a speed skater in the Olympics. After he won, after he earned the medal, he went back and um, he got drafted and he became a minor league ball player. And last year he reached the majors with the Marlins which was the second organization he was with. So he played for several years and, you know, moved his way up, single A, double A, triple A, and uh, reached the majors. This year he's been in triple A, the, and um, the Team USA selected him to be a baseball player for the Olympics. And not only that, the U.S. Olympic Committee selected him to be one of the flag bearers. Tremendous, tremendous story there. Just the fact that here's a guy that's involved in, various sports and he, he kind of fell into one of them there with that whole speed skating deal and yeah. he's able to do it at such a high level not only major league baseball but actually medal in the olympics right right it was a team one of the team events the 5000 meter relay short track speed skating and he was a silver medalist for team usa and the four man short track speed skating 
and he's known as Eddie the Jet when he plays on ice. <laughs> well, I wonder why, you know. <laughs> but yeah. that's that's the type of story that um, I love that. I love that because it's it's different. It's not the same old, same old. There are layers behind this here, and, and, and it explains why this guy was actually one of the flag bearers because that's a tremendous honor uh, that most people will never have the opportunity to be. Here he is on the biggest stage of them all, the Olympics, and he's he's holding the American flag. There, it's, it's it's pretty cool there. Ed, you're somebody that has covered the Olympic Games for many many years, mm-hmm. and you've had some some great experiences. And you know there have been Olympics that you've actually been there personally uh, mm-hmm. to, to catch the action. So for somebody like like myself, and and for folks listening here who may not have ever been there live to experience some of these these moments here tell me tell me about some of your favorite moments where you were there live to to see it for yourself talk to me about the atmosphere what it was like why it still sticks out in your in your mind uh after the fact well the the pure emotion of of victory and the spontaneous celebrations and the teammates hugging each other coaches you know coaches crying or you know um smiling with their with their athletes you know sometimes you see parents in the stands you know rushing down to hug their hug their child or the coach coming like at the track meet going on for more than a week often the coaches you know they're with their credentials their id sitting in the first couple sections of the track at the big national stadiums and let's say like let's say the 100 meter race when it's over you know within seconds you know you you have the medalist usually surrounded by their coach or maybe a couple of their closest family members. But yeah, there is, there is a real buzz at the hundred meter dash, both the men's race and the women's race. I think the men's race gets a bit more attention. It's just, it's such a, such a dramatic event. And uh, I was at the stadium in Beijing and London when Usain Bolt won both the hundred and 200 back to back both, both times. And, just the buzz of the, the 100 always goes before the 200 in terms of the schedule. This, this stadium is just electric. I think part of it is because of the, the, the shortness of the, of the event. You know, it only takes 10, it takes less than 10 seconds for the winner to be decided. And it's just such an exciting event. And I think it, you know, also appeals to the human, uh, the joy of competition for the spectator and for the competitor and for the media who are chronicling what happens and no, no other event is that quick that happens on land. You know, if you look at the 50-meter freestyle and swimming, it's a, it's really fast too, but it's in water. It, it's just a little bit different, you know? Well, and also when you, when you talk about something like running, I mean, we've all experienced it. Well, hopefully most of us have who are fortunate yeah. enough to have working legs and what have you. But, uh, you know, everybody can relate to the concept of running or even – swimming or what have you so to see the the top athletes the fastest athletes in the world so to speak compete on that stage like you said uh it's 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 quick you know if you if you're not paying attention you could miss it but there's so much drama in, in in the electricity of being there live we can see it at home watching on the tv screen but boy to be there and experience it i'm sure that that is just a, a thrill unlike most other things one one thing I one thing I tried to do and coordinate with with the sports editor uh, when I worked previously at the Japan Times was I tried to get some eclectic coverage and some real variety of of different sports 
from the day-to-day and the week-to-week um, coverage. So, for example, I try to spend just a couple hours watching, you know, a random mix of, of really, you know, not the medalists, not the medal favorites, but people that were in badminton uh, and, and table tennis and just really try to watch and, and like, see how they competed and like how many, you know, and try to describe for the readers, like how many different hits per minute, you know, they, they give you stat sheets, but really try to look at the mannerisms of and how the reaction times took place in those two sports. Like they're so fast badminton and singles and doubles and how they, how they work in synergy with each other in the doubles, like is amazing to watch in badminton and in table tennis and, you know, they train at these events for years and years and years. Well, all the Olympians do, but, but like the split second reaction time and how fast, like they're serving the ball and the shuttlecock in those two sports. It's, it's really amazing. So that's really fun to watch. Um, I went out to the, um, the beach volleyball in Beijing and what was it like just on a random set, uh, you know, summer morning in an urban setting, watching beach volleyball. Because you know the ocean isn't in, in the middle of Beijing, but you know what was what do they what do they try to create with the sand and with the cheerleaders, with the music, with the way the you know the the atmosphere in the stands. I tried to I tried to describe that and paint a picture as well. That that was a fun column to do in, in London. One thing that was really fun also was seeing how they used they used the cricket grounds in London, which you know a long history of cricket in 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 the United Kingdom and, and the countries that were part of the British Empire you know, Pakistan, uh, India, other countries that really took to cricket decades, you know, decades and centuries ago. But I tried to see what was, what was it like watching archery at the cricket grounds? It was just a unique backdrop. And I went out there for for a full day to, to report on the archery and also do, a, do what I call the London Postcard, which is a series of small stories, different like slice of life pieces every day. And I focused one of them on the announcers from Mexico and just how through the way they, the way, you know, the way the, the announcing takes place in Spanish with, you know, like you see it with soccer and, you know, as well on the global stage, but just how excited they got for like each point and each um, like each winning set or each winning point, how they were like trying to convey that message to their millions of, of viewers, you know, halfway around the world. Uh, you know, who picked up the Spanish language TV broadcast. Well, it's just, it's really interesting. And, and you're a guy that has such a vast sports history. And it's clear, you know, we can we can hear the enthusiasm in your voice. And, and really, again, it's about the storytelling. It's about the stories. It's not just about who won and who lost. There's, there's more behind the coverage that you provide, which is why it's so important for anyone listening. You definitely want to check out uh, Japan Forward. You're going to find some great stories there, not just sports. There's, there's a mixed bag of everything, but certainly Ed and his team, their coverage of the Olympics and beyond, it's really, really something that you're going to want to bookmark and keep coming back to for sure. Uh, Ed, talk to me about a book that you that you wrote and, and released uh, recently because there are a lot of figures in, in sports and sports media who are, you know, larger than life and what have you for various mm-hmm. reasons. But mm-hmm. your book going 15 rounds with Jerry Eisenberg, this is on a whole other planet here. So, so give me the, the, the background here from a general standpoint. Um, why Jerry Eisenberg? Why did you write this book and what can folks expect when they check it out? 
as a personal challenge to myself in the last decade or so, I, I you know, I started a blog on WordPress.com and I tried to interview some various uh, journalists for the for the distant interview series. Um, people that are retired, people that are prominent to this day, people that are up and coming. And um, Jerry Eisenberg, I reached out to him in 2014 and I thought maybe I could do an interview with him or maybe a two part series, something ambitious, but not, not, not at a book level. But uh, he said, sure, Ed, get back to me. We'll set something up. And uh, we're both busy working full time and, or he was semi-retired, but still working on books, writing a bunch of columns and, you know, took a vacation with his family to Hawaii. And he said, you know, get back to me in a couple of weeks and, and we'll set something up. So this was in 2015 after a year of, of trying a couple of times, but not trying to bug him like every week or every month. I thought if I do that, it'll turn him off. But he said, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sorry. It took me so long to get back to you. Let's set something up. And uh, we, we spoke in the summer of 2015 roughly for about three hours in one phone call. And from that one phone call, it really created a foundation for what became a series of articles that evolved into a, into what became the, the, the um, foundation for a book. It, originally, I didn't think of a book as, a, as what it would be conceived, what would actually happen from what I, you know, what I asked him. But the more and more I started revising the articles, I thought there's enough here to really kind of maybe form form a book. And and the reason that Jerry really interested me was he, he really harkens back to an, to an older age of journalism. He, you know, he remembers seeing stories that were from the Babe Ruth era. I don't think he saw Babe Ruth play on TV because, you know, Babe Ruth retired in 1935 and Jerry would have been five years old. So he might've, he might've heard on radio, like the end of Babe Ruth's career but his his father certainly told him stories about the babe and you know he 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 can certainly remember those great yankee teams from the 30s and just that era of 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 boxing and college football horse racing which were really prominent sports in his early years and um the fact that 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 uh the fact that Jerry, Jerry Eisenberg covered the entirety of of Muhammad Ali's career and the fact that he was at the Rome Olympics in the Olympic Village, you know, observing what what Cassius Clay, as he was then known, how people responded to him and how he had a just a gravitas about him or a certain buzz about him. He he talked a lot about how when when uh, when Cassius Clay walked around the Olympic Village, you know, he was so talkative and um, and just had a charisma about him where everybody stopped to see what was going on with this young man, but also the, the female athletes, they stopped longer to look at, well, who is this guy? You know, they like, he's definitely good looking. They were saying, but what is he talking about? What, why is he, they, they, it was funny to hear back about that, you know, decades later as Jerry, you know, recalled. Yeah. This was a guy who attracted attention from everybody, (laughs) but, but, as you ask about the book also, you know, I wanted to learn more about the journalism side of Jerry and also about his convictions. He really, he really um, had a moral compass that other people didn't necessarily focus on in their reporting and in their columns, but he, he did from, from the civil rights era up until now, 
he really took a stand on many, many things. And I thought that was important to have in print, maybe someone else writing about it besides Jerry himself. Jerry has a great memoir he wrote, but I wanted this book to be a bit more of um, other people's viewpoints on Jerry and then some of his favorite stories uh, that he himself, you know, if you ask him to talk about his career, these are some highlights that he will focus on. People that he he befriended or people that really made an impression on him. And um, my uncle Steve refers to the book as an anecdotal biography. I think that's a pretty good definition of what I tried to um, make the project be. I want it to be something where if you're a sports fan or a, a fan of history or, or if you're a aspiring journalist or if you're a um, journalism professor, maybe that this book appeal, appeals to different segments of the audience, different demographics, um, different parts of the book. Well, once again, we're talking going 15 rounds with Jerry Eisenberg. You can definitely find that on Amazon.com. Definitely encourage folks to check it out there. Ed, before I let you go, I got to ask you about a, a mutual friend of ours, the Hall of Famer, Mr. Peter Vesey. Did, I know that you've worked together on uh, in previous incarnations and what have you. Do you, do you uh-huh. have any good Peter Vesey stories at all? I guess I would just say as a as a introductory point that the appreciation and the the the, the layered nuances of, of basketball history from the beginning of the NBA to the present, he really gives great tributes to people, even the ABA. Dr. J was the best man at his second wedding. And Peter Vesey, you know, you look at his understanding of of of, of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from his high school years to the present. You look at people that um, that played at UCLA from Bill Walton to many, many others, Gail Goodrich. He has the stories that connect the dots to the generations of the sport. And he isn't afraid to criticize somebody either or, you know, point out an injustice where these ABA guys haven't received what they were promised from the NBA in terms of pensions, in terms of health care, you know, full health care. And, and Peter, is, Peter has written about this for decades. Those are some great stories. Um, he also, he isn't afraid to criticize either. You know, like people are tampering with contracts or if people are uh, telling, telling lies, he'll tell you why it's a lie. He has the sources and he, you know, he's fearless. I try to have some of that in my coverage um, I've been a full-time editor for, for 15 years in Japan, where if I was just focusing on writing and writing and being a columnist, I could I could get more stories out there. But he's a definite inspiration. Um, we carried his column at the Japan Times for, for, for many, many years. And, you know, it was a great thing to have because it expanded the knowledge of our readers to what is basketball like on a global scale. Talking about Ma- Michael Jordan behind the scenes or – you know, Phil Jackson or uh, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, you know, Peter, Peter knew Kobe Bryant when he was, you know, a high schooler before he ever, you know, was drafted before he you know launched his great career. So these are some of the things that, that I've really admired about his coverage and, and his columns. Well, again, I mean, you're just a, a wealth of knowledge in your own self there, Ed, because you are connected to the right people. You do a great job in your writing yourself. And again, the storytelling. I mean, I'm a storytelling guy. I'm, I'm a guy that really is more interested in not just what's in front of us immediately, but mm-hmm. how stuff works. How do we get to that point and what happens after the fact? And that's mm. definitely something that folks are going to get uh, when they check out 
what you and your team are offering out there, why don't you let everybody know? What's the best way they can keep up with your columns, you on social media, your publication, the whole nine yards there? We've got a very simple to remember website URL, japan-forward.com. And, uh, you know, click on the Tokyo 2020 section, click on the sports section. Uh, my, my Twitter account is, is connected there. My, my uh, Facebook account for, for reporting is on that site and uh, Instagram. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in Twitter every day, Ed underscore O'Devin. It's O-D, like uh, David, E-V, like Victory, E-N. And I post all our stories there. I try to get people around the world, you know, links every day. Um, I don't do a lot of like, um, reactions or like live feed Twitter, like that kind of thing, like live tweets on an event. I try to take notes and watch myself and I want my eyes to be glued to the TV rather than, you know, to my, my phone or to a computer. When I'm watching an event at the venue, I want to be, try to look for, you know, how people are reacting like on the sideline or, you know, during a timeout, what are the mannerisms of, you know, someone coming out of a timeout? You know, are they, do they look different than when before the timeout? Those kind of things. Um, but we try to publish, you know, stories that resonate with people that give you beyond the obvious, uh, you know, someone won and someone scored 10 goals, kind of that kind of thing, like in handball or, you know, uh, in soccer, someone had a hat trick. You know, but why is the team good? You know, what explanatory journalism analysis, you know, and then event coverage of the big events as well, the finals, the championship, who won the title, you know, like with, with judo, with wrestling, upcoming with karate. These are some sports Japan does really well in. And uh, I know there's going to be some special karate stories coming up. Uh, judo, we've had pretty comprehensive coverage. Wrestling is really just starting up the last couple of days here at the Olympics. But these are sports that Japan really does well in. Gymnastics, too. You know, it's a matter of the way it's kind of like the mindset. You probably heard about this when you were in elementary school a little bit, where you sort of have the samurai uh, mentality where you just, you're spending your waking hours trying to perfect, you know, that particular discipline. So you're giving your all and to try to do it to, to reach a level of perfection or as close to perfection as possible. And you see with baseball pitchers too, they, they of course overwork their arms and they, a lot of them burn out their arms, but you're, you're focused so much on, just the craft and the fun, um, the mechanics and the fundamentals of the sport. And, you know, we try to, we try to describe that a bit and highlight the people that are really successful and how they reached that level and how they stayed at that level. Sustained excellence is, is something, you know, to keep an eye on in our reporting and sort of an angle of coverage, I think, in a lot of the stories. I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it's very, uh, it's a classic, traditional way of doing things and and again you you're going deeper than what's on the surface which that's where the good stuff is at least in my opinion there you know Ed, one last question here and this is the most uh-huh. important question you'll probably be asked uh all week so this is a big deal here okay let me let me take a deep what's breath i'll put on the spot here <laughs> well yeah serious this is a big deal here where is the best and what was the best dish we're talking food here now ed because you know not only does duke love the olympics duke loves food who had the best food of any olympic games you've ever covered 
and what specifically would you say? What, what, what dish in particular really knocked your socks off? Well, it's something I don't eat a lot. It's available certainly in Asia, in and I, I haven't been out. I haven't been outside of Japan and China, so I know Thailand is very big about it too. With with duck, roasted duck, and different types of duck with with some sweet sauce and kind of like spicy sauce. But honestly, the at one of the high end um, uh, pecking pecking duck restaurants in Beijing, the duck the duck was really really special, really tasty. I was really hungry that day, and I had just a huge portion of duck. I want to say it was grilled. There might have been a second entree that was sautéed, but there was different types of sauce that you dip the duck in, too. And you get, you know, like an all-you-can-eat, not a buffet, but, you know, they bring it to you, different types of of duck, thinly sliced duck, and, you know, with, like, sweet and sour sauce and more like a mustard sauce and then a soy sauce. And, you know, combined with, with soup and, and salad and vegetables and rice and dessert, full course meal, that was really, really good. Um, there was some great food in England, too. I, I've been to the Olympics twice outside of the country that I live in. And uh, what was particularly good in England? Um, some, of, some of the steaks were really good. Some of the sandwiches were really good. But it was more like food I was familiar with. So nothing beats that Peking duck that you had, though. That was that was it, huh? That was just a great meal on a mid on a midweek, an early dinner on a like on a Wednesday or a Thursday when I was really really hungry. It it really hit the spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Ed. You know we really appreciate you taking the time to share some of these great stories with us. Uh, whether we're talking sports, whether we're talking writing books, whether we're talking Peking duck. Uh, you just you're you're a refreshing person to speak to here. Why don't you take us out with a uh, goodbye in Japanese? Well, I'll give you I'll give you two things. Okay, um, goodbye is just straight across the board. Sayonara. Um, it's it's late it's late at night here in Japan, almost morning time. So I'll also give you the good night uh, reference. Oyasumi nasai. What a great conversation there once again, Ed Ottavan. Just a wealth of knowledge. Really fun to to hear Ed talk about the Pekin duck. I love duck. So, you know, you, you, you piqued my interest with that for sure. But there's a lot to unpack there. And, and one of the things that I respect about Ed is that he was very honest about the atmosphere over there in Japan. Because there certainly are a lot of people who are concerned with COVID-19 over there. There's no two ways about it. I mean, it's a, it's a very serious issue. They, they're in a state of emergency as a result of it because there's an uptick. And there are some people who may not have necessarily felt that the Olympic Games should have happened this year. And I understand it. I understand those concerns. You know, thank goodness that they happened because it gave us something to actually believe in and take our minds off of the craziness that's happening in the in the world today, for sure. But... It looks like they had done what they could from a health and safety standpoint, which thank goodness for that as well. I mean, when you when you add up all the athletes that competed, a very small percentage um, tested positive. And even then, I haven't heard of anyone having any major complications, knock on wood, and thank goodness. So that tells me that people were probably properly vaccinated, but um, they caught some of these issues early and they tended to them early, so it didn't become a big catastrophe so you know definitely from from that standpoint a lot of drama over in tokyo this year 
during the games. But, you know, it's it's really fun to listen to Ed talk about some of these behind-the-scenes stories. Um, again, these are things that we don't get enough of. We don't hear enough of. Everyone is talking about the same old things. So to hear some variety, it's really refreshing. It really is. And, you know, when it comes to reporting on anything, regular news, sports news, what have you, we're in a society now where it just feels like opinion is overtaking the facts. And that's unfortunate because nothing beats the facts. Nothing beats the truth. So I, I really tip my hat to Ed and you know his whole team over there at Japan Forward. They do a very good job of digging for the truth and presenting the truth. And as you heard, I mean, they have columnists from all over the world to chime in on different things, which is great. So even though it is a Japan-based media source, you really do get a wide range of what's going on around the world, and especially from that perspective. So good stuff there. Good stuff there, Ed. Um, I wanted to touch on something, just, just go back to it before I let you go here. This whole issue with Simone Biles, I mean, literally, she's the most decorated gymnast in history she's the goat greatest of all time there are a lot of people who took issue with her taking herself out of competition for health and safety reasons and also you know for doing what's best for the team basically there are a lot of people out there who said oh she should have toughed it out and she should have done this and she should have done that it is not acceptable to put yourself in harm's way just because you have some kind of fear or concern that people are going to look down upon you if you don't. Can you imagine if that young lady was paralyzed because she got injured trying to do something up there? Can you imagine that? It's happened in history, by the way. So it's not like this isn't a thing. It, it absolutely is a thing. Some of you folks out there have lost your humanity. This woman is risking her life to entertain us. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all sports really is. It's, it's entertainment, right? If there wasn't an audience for the sport, it wouldn't happen, <laughs> right? Would we have the Olympic Games if people weren't paying attention to it? Of course not. So to sit there and, 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 and try to shame someone for listening to their body and doing the right thing and, and putting their health and safety first and really putting the, the, the needs of the team first, I just, I really scratch my head at some of these folks. You got to find your humanity out there, everyone. Seriously. You really do. Because if that was your child, if that was your loved one, would you want them to risk their lives just to entertain a bunch of strangers? For what? Give me a break. And I tip my hat to Simone because in the end, she still found a way to participate and she still found a way to show the world that yes, she is who we thought she was. She is who we always knew she is. The greatest, greatest of all time. That's what it's about. 
and and there's an irony in there because when you talk to some of Simone's teammates, right? And you look at what they were able to accomplish that probably would not have happened had Simone competed, right? You got to think about that a little bit. Look at Jade Carey. Jade Carey, you know, she fell off the uneven bars, almost injured herself, by the way, which that was scary. But she was able to bounce back and she did some great things there on the floor uh, routine and she was able to win the Olympic gold for it. Right? Nine flips and six twists to get that, that Olympic gold. Would she have gotten the Olympic gold if Simone Biles competed? Who knows? Who knows what would have happened to Team USA if Simone Biles competed? It was a very unselfish thing to do to take herself out and make sure that she was okay before she would compete again. That was in the best interest of everybody. So again, anyone who says differently, I I just, look, find your humanity, find some grace, put yourself in that position, put your loved ones in that position. And if you still feel like, oh, well, she should have risked her life and compete and what have you, I don't know what to tell you. I just know that you're probably not the type of person that I'd ever want to associate with because your decision-making is questionable. Unlike the GOAT, Simone Biles. I want to thank you for listening, folks, and, and please let me know what you think. Obviously, at Duke Loves Olympics on Twitter. You can email me, DukeLovesOlympics at gmail.com. Do you have somebody who you want to hear on the show? Do you have any antidotes? Do you have uh, whatever? Let me know. We're going to have some of the athletes on the show. You know, it's 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 interesting. I, I was talking to Team USA, and, and they let me know that NBC, you know, they, they really have it on lock in terms of these interviews directly with the athletes. So there has to be a little bit of distance from the time that they compete before they're able to do other media that's a contractual thing and that's okay you know but we're in the mix though so we are going to be having some of these great stars and also you got to keep in mind that we have the paralympics coming up in about 20 days this show will be covering the paralympics as well so make no mistake about it when i tell you duke loves olympics i mean it baby duke loves olympics and i want you yes you listening right now to remember Be kind to yourselves and be kind to others. We'll catch you next time. That's right.